Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Well, it is Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, it's that day in the Christian calendar when um, when Holy Week begins. And we, we look back to when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. And he was riding on the back of a donkey and the people were overjoyed to see him. They were like, they came out in, in droves and they laid down their tunics for the donkey to walk across. And they're all waving palm branches because they believed and they hoped that Jesus was there to like make Israel great again. They were, they were hoping that he would lead this, this like political military revolution and he would overthrow the Romans and he would set up a throne in in Jerusalem and he would lead them as a king in this in a similar way to how David had uh, a long time before and so that's why they they, they're waving palm branches and as they're doing that they're cheering Hosanna Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the kingdom of our father David Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Literally, they're cheering like, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, save us, son of David. Save us. And so the people think that Jesus is going to be a king like David. And that's what they're crying out for. That's what they're praying for. But what they didn't realize is Jesus is actually a descendant of David by blood. Like Jesus is actually David's great, 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 great grandson. Like if you take 28 greats and put them in front of grandson, that's how Jesus is related to King David. And so in some ways you could say that without David, there's no Jesus. At the same time, we would want to say that without Ruth, there is no David. And that's what we're going to see today. Now, as we finish our study of the book of Ruth, what I want to do today is ask, what is Ruth's legacy? Like, how should she be remembered? Because it seems to me she deserves to be recognized and honored, but that's not easy to do for, for a few reasons. One is because this isn't mainly Ruth's story. Like, the focus is, is much more on Naomi, actually, and on Naomi's suffering. Um, and, and Ruth has very little to say in the story compared to, to people like, like Naomi and, and Boaz. Add to that the fact that Ruth is a woman, and in many parts of, of like church world, talking about women and talking about the contributions of women, even honoring women, giving them women their, their rightful sort of due and recognition, that can be super uncomfortable. Now, there are reasons for that. Because, of course, women are dangerous. Women want to take over. If we let them, women are going to take over all the power from the men and they're going to, you know, ruin the mission of the church by, because women just want to talk about feelings and women just want to talk about their husbands and, and, and women just want to sort of, you know, women want to seduce you. They want to steal your husband. And, and for many of us, these are some of the messages that we heard enough times in church world that like whether or not it was taught explicitly certainly these are some of the messages that were caught and because we have these stereotypes now these just because these stereotypes are just accepted in many christian circles 
it's become just kind of like simpler for everybody. It's become, you know, simpler for, for everybody if women are just kind of kept on the margins. Like, that's just what we do when we don't know what to do. We keep people on the margins. And and that has been the experience of a lot of women in the church. I, I know many of you are here and could say the same from your experiences in, in church world. And one of one woman who's had that experience is a woman named Amy Bird. She's an author and a theologian. And she published a book a couple of years ago called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And in it, Amy Bird says, In the church, the woman's casserole is valued. The woman's nursery duty is valued. The woman's service in VBS is valued. But is her theological contribution valued? Is her testimony valued? Is her advice valued? When she shows initiative and discernment and resolve, do you see someone who wants to give herself in service in all these ways, or does that make her less feminine in your eyes? The women's voices, not only their casseroles, not only their babysitting skills, are needed just as much as the men's in the life of the church. Now, I really believe that. But, you know, when when this book came out, even though Amy Bird holds some pretty conservative views on these things, she was just destroyed on social media. She was just destroyed on social media and just mercilessly. But I really think she's right. In fact, um, full disclosure, one of the reasons why I thought it'd be a good idea for us to study Ruth, and as the elders talked about it, we agreed, uh, was because of some of the things that I read in this book by Amy Bird. So it seems to me Ruth is a bit of a victim of a larger problem, which is that we exclude and we marginalize people that we don't know how to handle. And today I want to address that. I want to call it out. And what we want to do is, so we're going to see where the story of Ruth ends, and we're going to put Ruth side by side with some other prominent Bible figures, and hopefully be able to give her the credit that she deserves. So on that note, Let's do, let's do a bit of a thought experiment here, okay? When you think of the really important, you know, Bible heroes, the really important figures from, from the Bible, really key figures in redemption history, who are the names that come to mind? Okay, who comes to mind? Don't overthink it. Just picture them, picture those names in your mind, okay? Now, I want to ask you, uh, how many people... She thought of, of Abraham. Yeah, a few. How many people thought of Moses? Right? How many people thought of David? Yeah, good. And, and rightly so. Um, let's talk about each of these guys a minute. Let's talk about Abraham first. Abraham is like the ultimate patriarch. He's, he's got a, a, a reputation for being the person of faith. And, and it is well-deserved because early in his story, God calls him out of his homeland Promises to give Abraham, Abraham a son and a land and, and, and make him a, the father of a great nation. And, and throughout Abraham's story, his faith is tested. But you know, Ruth is the same. And we've seen a ton of reasons now in the book of Ruth why her story shouldn't have worked out. Why she shouldn't have expected good things. And yet she trusted God anyway. She's a Gentile. She's a woman. She's poor. She's an immigrant from Moab of all places. And she has no husband and she has no children. 
Well, one scholar compared Abraham's faith with the faith of Ruth and said that in the entire epic of Israel, only Abraham matches Ruth's radicality, but then he had a call from God. Divine promises motivated and sustained his leap of faith. Besides, Abraham was a man with a wife and other possessions to accompany him. Ruth stands alone. She possesses nothing. No God has called her. No deity has promised her blessing. No human being has come to her aid. She knows that the fruit of her decision may well be the emptiness of rejection, indeed of death. Well, instead, God honors Ruth's faith. And and the story ends with what might be the greatest sign of God's kindness for somebody in Ruth's position. It's the answer to everybody's prayers. In chapter 4, verse 13, we read that the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And that son, Obed, okay, is going to be the grandfather of King David. And so if we would say that, you know, in his life, Abraham became the father of Israel, Maybe we should also say that Ruth was its mother. Okay? Because in some ways, Ruth has every bit the faith of Abraham, but less power. Fewer rights and protections. Fewer advantages. So let's remember Ruth for her faith. Well, maybe when we think of important Bible figures, the person that comes to mind is Moses. Well, rightly so. Rightly so. I can't tell you how many Bible studies that I was part of uh, in, in my young Christian life where, where we learned different leadership lessons from Moses. And rightly so. Moses is a great leader. Moses is the guy who goes. Okay? Moses is the guy who goes. God visits him in a burning bush. And he tells him, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So Moses goes. He goes before Pharaoh. He goes and announces the plagues. He goes to the front of the crowd after the exodus to part the sea. He goes up Mount Sinai to meet God and to get the commandments. He, Moses is the guy who goes, okay? But so does Ruth. So does Ruth. Ruth leads Naomi on an exodus of her own, something that Naomi would never have survived uh, without, without Ruth. Ruth Ruth takes the initiative. Ruth uh, goes to work in the fields. It's, and and, and um, it's her idea. She approaches the workers. She asks for a job. She outperforms the rest of them. She impresses Boaz. She goes and, and she, into the, to the threshing floor and she proposes to him. Uh, and in fact, in the story, Boaz, the man, the redeemer in the story, he follows Ruth's lead. He responds to Ruth's initiative, if we want to be honest. So she's not sitting around waiting for Boaz to save her. She's got too much work to do. She's too busy doing the right thing, caring for Naomi. And so in some ways, Ruth is every bit the leader that Moses was. The difference is that Moses became famous in his lifetime, whereas in in her lifetime, Ruth is, is basically invisible. Well, maybe when we think about important Bible figures, maybe the person that comes to mind is David. Well, that's, that's, that's appropriate. Like, it would be hard to overstate the importance of King David. 
Scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. David is is unique in the sense that like he's um he's emotive. He's in touch with his feelings. He pays attention to motives and desires. David shows us what devotion looks like. Okay? His his devotion to God is what led him into battle against Goliath. And his devotion to God is the reason that he didn't kill King Saul after he turned bad, even though David had tons of opportunities to to do so and to get rid of him and take the throne for himself. David's the guy who says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Like, that's a dude saying that. That's David. David is all about God's loving kindness, delighting in God's nearness and presence. David is all about devotion. But, you know, so is Ruth. Ruth devotes her life to Naomi. Ruth said early in the book, when Naomi was trying to chase her away, Ruth said, no, no, no. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It almost, it almost sounds like one of the Psalms. And then at the, at the end of the story, when, when Ruth's son is born, and everybody knows that this is the turning point for Naomi, that Naomi isn't Mara anymore. She's not empty and bitter anymore. Now she's full. Now she's pleasant again. Everybody knows it's because God was with Ruth. And that's what that's why they call Ruth, uh, in verse 15 here, they call Ruth your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons. Ruth is better to Naomi than seven sons. In other words, take all of the joy that we have at this son, in, okay, all of the celebration that's happening in the community because of the arrival of this little boy, Obed, and take that joy and multiply it times seven, and that's almost how good Ruth has been for Naomi. Now that's that's some love, right? That's some devotion. And so, in some ways, we would we want to say like Ruth is every bit the person after God's heart that David was. At the same time, if you know how David's story goes, you know that eventually that power goes to his head and he falls into several scandals. We might say that Ruth is like a female David. She's full of love and full of devotion and without the scandal. Well, we could go on and on. We could compare Ruth with people like uh, like Noah, like, like Isaac and Jacob and Solomon and, 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 and others. Every one of these guys, every one of these heroes is great in his own right, okay? Every one of these guys is a rock star. But, but isn't it also true that the reasons that we honor these guys are also true, are just as true as some of the women in Scripture? And I'm not just talking about Ruth here, but I'm talking about Naomi as well, and Sarah, and, and Hagar, and Leah, and Rahab, and Hannah, and Bathsheba, and Tamar. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, and on and on. But let's let's just stick with Ruth for now. Because Ruth has done a couple of really important things in this book now 
that as we step back, I think really teach us. I think she's done a really a couple of really important things that teach and instruct those of us who want to follow the way of Jesus. Okay? Let's let Ruth be a teacher for a minute, because I think she's got a couple important lessons. First is a, is a lesson about suffering. First is a lesson about suffering. See, Ruth has shown us that suffering can be redeemed. That, that's what God means to do. He means to redeem suffering. And that's why this is such a great study for us to do around the season of Lent. Because at Lent, we look at the world around us and we say, what a mess. Like, all around us, it's just, it's, there's evil and there's brokenness. And I'm part of the reason why. Like, it's my fault. And I need a redeemer. Just as, just as the world needs a redeemer, I need the, a redeemer because I can't fix this on my own. That's the message of Lent. Now, what do we do, though, while we wait for the redeemer? Ruth teaches us. Because we look at her example and we see that when, when Naomi lost everything, Ruth stayed. Ruth led her back to Bethlehem. We see that when Naomi tells all the women of Bethlehem, Oh, God has abandoned me. I am empty. I, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have no one. And Ruth is standing right there. Well, Ruth didn't correct her. Ruth stays. And like, by the way, it's not like Ruth came out of this unscathed, you know? She's got some wounds of her own. You know, Ruth couldn't have known how or when God would turn things around. And neither do we. She teaches us what the faithful can do when we don't know what to do. You know what she you know what we do when we don't know what to do? We do what we can. That's what that's what Ruth shows us. Ruth does what she can. She assumes responsibility. She decides to be the answer to her own prayers. And that means for her, in her case, getting a job and bringing home some food and taking care of Naomi. And when she did, that's when things started to turn around. And I think that there's a lesson in here for us. When we suffer, not if, when we suffer, we need to take time absolutely to to grieve and to lament, but we don't stay there forever. We don't risk letting grief and lament turn into self-pity that become paralyzing. No, Ruth shows us that while we wait for God to redeem our suffering, it can actually be so empowering and helpful and life-giving to find something to do and do it well. To find something meaningful to do. To find something important to do. To find something that will make a difference in the lives of other people. And to do that stuff well. That's Ruth. And that's what she shows us about suffering. What to do when we don't know what to do. And there's one more thing I think we can take away from the book of Ruth. One more thing I, I hope that we'll, we'll take away from her story. And it's a lesson about people on the margins. Okay, it's a lesson about people on the margins. In the last few years, you know, I've realized, I used to pride myself on how much more uh, concerned I am for the treatment of women and the involvement of women when compared with other, other men or other theologians or other, other pastors that I know. Okay, I used to pride myself on, on how much more concerned I am for women than them. And, I, and I'm realizing, you know, I'm learning, I, I, I realize that that is the wrong comparison. And it, now it's true, not all pastors are anti-woman. 
not all pastors are 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 misogynists and not all Christian communities are 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 chauvinist or sexist but I, I do want to say if I'm just a little bit better than sexism that's that's not good you know like if I, if if my approach to these things is only a little bit better than chauvinism that's not that's not the way of Jesus that's not actually a win for the kingdom of God and so the real comparison the real question that matters is how do not how do I relate to other men or theologians or pastors the real question is does my concern for women reflect God's concern for women does my attitude towards women look like God's attitude for women okay does my treatment of women and other people on the margins look like God's treatment of women and other people on the margins because you know it's interesting scripture God shows us how he feels about Ruth because scripture is not afraid to te- to tell Ruth's story scripture is not afraid of her perspective it's not afraid of her voice and her decisions and her initiative and her leadership it's almost like God knew that within some faith communities this was going to be a complicated issue you know it's almost like he knew that men would some men would fear women that in some faith communities men would suspect women it's almost like God knew that in some faith communities we would struggle to make space for women's voices and to make space for women's gifts as though the men have the right to exclude women, which is crazy, as though it's like the men's Bible, or it's like as if as though it's the men's church, or as though it's the men's gospel. Like the men are the gatekeepers and have the right to exclude women and, and others. It's just it's it's crazy. But it's happening. It's happened. And in some circles, we've taken the few things that scripture says about men and women, and we've built entire theologies. Okay, we've constructed entire theological systems in order to essentially just kind of put women on the margins so that we never have to have the conversation. And and that's the opposite of how God treats Ruth. It's the opposite of how he treats Ruth. Ruth won't stay on the margins. She won't stay where her culture puts her. She won't stay where her circumstances put her. And so we want to close by asking, well, what is Ruth's legacy? How should we remember Ruth? Here's my answer. We're going to remember Ruth by remembering Ruth. Right? We, We want to remember Ruth. Why would we remember people like Abraham and Moses and David? And, and those guys would make our list of great heroes of the faith, but we would leave out Ruth. Why would we ever do that? No, of course not. I think Ruth is given to us as an example. And I hope that we see Ruth as just as important as those others. Because we've seen Ruth challenging stereotypes and, and overturning those stereotypes to the glory of God. I hope that we see that and I hope that we never unsee it. I hope that we see it and it becomes like a, like a pebble in our shoe so that in our context, when we see and we hear or we read on social media about uh, women and, and all kinds of other people who've been pushed to the margins, we notice. And, and maybe it's going to be because of gender, but it might be because of race 
or age or class or all the things, okay? But I hope we see that and we speak up because for all we know, that person is the next Ruth. For all we know, that person is another Ruth. Let me give the last word to Amy Bird on Palm Sunday. You know, it's, it's a good idea for us to look past Ruth, past David, to God's plan of salvation through Jesus. And so Amy Bird says about that, that God is good to his people, even to an outsider like Ruth. What do we see when we meet Ruth? We see the Proto-Euangelion of Genesis 3.15 rumbling all over the place. Let me, let me pause here. The Proto-Euangelion, that's a theological word for what was the early gospel. It was the announcement in the garden that God made that the offspring of Eve was going to come along someday and he was going to crush the serpent's head. The serpent would strike at the, that, the offspring's heel, he would bruise his heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. So that was announced back in Genesis 3.15. And Amy Bird says that we see that rumbling all over the place when we meet Ruth. She says, Ruth's single-minded devotion was to provide an heir who turns out to be the ancestor of David and then of Jesus, the woman's seed. We see that God keeps his promises and he does it in unsuspecting ways. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.